If you would take your Bible this morning and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to be reading verses 18 through 20. 1 Peter 1 verse 18. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. I'm going to preach on this, this morning the importance of the blood of Christ. Importance of the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, that we have your words preserved for us, passed down through the ages of time, given to us in our own language. And we thank you, Father, we can have assurance that we have the very words of God. We pray, Father, as we look into the Word of God this morning, that we'd be encouraged and challenged, strengthened in our walk with you, might receive the importance of the sacrificial blood that was shed for our sin. May we not be ashamed of our Lord and his sacrifice for our sin. But may we rejoice in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The last, I don't know, 50 years or so, it's really started earlier than I thought as I started to do a little investigating of, you know, there was a movement started clear back in the 30s of taking the blood out of hymns. There was a Presbyterian hymnal put out in 1933 uh, which remove some of the songs about the blood uh, in it. Uh, That continues to this day. There have been those who have said that it's not the blood of Christ, but the death of Christ. That's, That's important. Of course, this is an attack on what the Bible states concerning the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have several articles here. One's titled, Is Your Church Losing Blood?, it's March 29, 2010, by a man by the name of Russell Moore. He is a Southern Baptist. But he said, quote this, American Christianity is far less bloody than it used to be. Songs like Power in the Blood, or The Fair is a Fountain Filled with Blood, or Are You Washed in the Blood, are still sung in some places, but fewer and fewer. And there aren't many newer songs or praise choruses so focused on blood. The cross, yes. Redemption, yes. But blood, Rarely. We're eager to speak of life, but hesitant to speak of blood. Do you know what the Bible says about life? The life of the flesh is in the blood. And he says this is not only a Protestant phenomenon. Roman Catholics, centered as they are on the Eucharist, often go, seem to go out of their way to speak of the real presence, quote-unquote, of Jesus in the elements without going so far as to mention this presence is believed to be that of the body and blood as well as the soul and divinity. Even Catholic communion hymns, I'm told, prefer hymns like the cup to the blood. 
The eclipse of blood in American Christianity has quite, to do, quite a bit to do, I suspect, with American prosperity. Um, and the article goes on. There's another one here titled, Jesus and the Blood Has Been Deleted from Most Contemporary Christian Music. And uh, this is a pretty lengthy article. I just want to read a few things from it. Uh, he says, A fad in, many, a Christ, a fad in Christianity among many churches is to blend as much of the world into its music as possible. The mentality today in much of the church world is to do nothing that would be offensive to the world, but to make the church comfortable and inviting to the non-Christian. Many of the old gospel quartets used to go both ways. That is true. Southern gospel quartets would go both ways. They would sing in churches the praises of God on Sunday and then to go to Las Vegas, Sin City, to perform with the hottest rock stars who were inflaming the passions of people to commit sin the rest of the week. A lot of top gospel singers go both ways. They call them crossovers. Even the most immoral rock stars and immoral country singers often make gospel albums. The gospel music industry has become a big money-making business. What kind of gospel has evolved where God's people can get in bed with the devil and feel comfortable and then go sing and shout in God's house? Today there's no songs, almost no songs about salvation, the cross, the blood, heaven, repentance, and the judgment day. And there are really few, just a few songs that even mention the name Jesus. Most songs today talk about God or the Lord, not Jesus. They can easily fit in with any religion or God. Often even non-Christian religions use these same songs. These are, they are politically correct and inoffensive. Some songs you can't tell if they are about God or just love songs. The words God or Lord have become generic terms that can be applied to any God. For example, the Beatles song, My Sweet Lord, was referring to Hare Krishna of Hinduism and not Jesus. Without a doubt, this has come about because of the politically inspired interfaith movement spawned by the Universalists. And the article goes on, and one of the things he does say here is, quote, Now we have a hundred years of the modernist, liberal, progressive destruction of Christianity in which the blood atonement is the number one target to be removed to make way for the new religion. In 1989, the Methodist hymnal did not have one reference to blood or the atonement. Replacing these hymns are contemporary songs that are said to be more relevant to this age. Uh, in charismatic movement today, they have followed suit. Most of their contemporary music says nothing about Jesus, the blood, the cross, or salvation, or heaven, uh, and, and so on. You see, there's an attack, has been an attack, of day one against the blood atonement. Cain's sacrifice, or I should say Cain's offering, it wasn't a sacrifice. Cain's offering was a bloodless offering. Abel's was a blood sacrifice. It required a killing of an animal and shedding of blood. So today I want to see the importance of the blood. The blood is mentioned about 700 times in the Bible. Uh, from Genesis to Revelation. And, 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 you know, in Exodus chapter 12, when the Lord was instituting the uh, Passover in Exodus chapter 12 and, and verses 12 and 13. The Bible says this, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now, often we look at that and say, well, you know, that blood, that speaks of death. But what did that blood provide for those children of Israel? Did it provide death or did it provide life? See, Leviticus 17.11 says, The life of the flesh, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar for an atonement for your soul. It is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. In Revelation 5.9, in that new Jerusalem in heaven, we're going to stand around the throne and we're going to sing that we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Genesis chapter 9, verse 4 says, But with the flesh, with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, ye shall not eat. That's why it's not good to eat raw meat. Because life is in the blood and disease is carried in that blood. So, you know, the blood is very important. It's vitally important. You know, the Ephesians 1 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood even in the forgiveness of sins. You know, there are other ways Jesus could have died. Could have been choked, could have been drowned. No, his blood was shed. His blood was shed. We know that he sweat great drops of blood in the garden, and then that soldier pierced his side, and blood and water came out. I want to notice then also the identity of the blood of Christ. The identity of the blood of Christ. And I've got several things here. We're going to be looking at various scriptures, passages of scripture. First of all, it was pure blood. In our text, in Peter, it says, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver, as silver and gold, from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So this was pure blood. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, there the Bible says, For as much as the children are partakers in flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. He took part of the same. You know, he did not have the blood of Mary. His blood was different because he was conceived by the Holy Ghost. In fact, Judas said, I have betrayed innocent blood. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Paul told the, the elders at Ephesus or the pastors there at Ephesus, he said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made your seers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. He said it's the flock of God, and he's purchased it with the blood of God. You see, a baby does not get its blood from its mother. They are separate. You can look, you can look this up, and I was going to bring it this morning, but I forgot. Uh, M.R. DeHaan, who was a medical doctor, also a pastor, wrote a book called The Chemistry of the Blood. And in there he describes, and, and he quotes from medical books and things, how that the blood of the baby is separate from the blood of the mother, and they never intermingle. 
They never passed from one to the other. Jesus did not have the blood of sinful man. It was pure blood. It was incorruptible blood. It was purchasing blood. Not only was it pure, but it was purchasing. It could purchase our redemption. It had value to it. Acts 20 here in verse 28 says, which he hath purchased with his own blood. It was that blood of Christ that was, uh, was, was able to purchase our redemption. Again, in Hebrews 9 and verse 12, Hebrews 9 and verse 12, the Bible says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean is sanctified to the purifying the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You see, Jesus Christ took his blood and he presented it on the mercy seat in heaven to obtain eternal redemption for us. Now, those who say that it's the death of Christ and not the blood of Christ say this. How could he gather up his blood, which is poured out when that soldier pierced him in the side? How could he gather that up and take it to heaven? Let me ask you a question. How can a virgin conceive? How can water be turned into wine? How can a whale... Swallow man, then spit him out. Or how can three men be thrown into a fiery furnace and they not be not even have their hair singed? You see, they say this is impossible. So all these other things. See, to deny what the Bible says here, it's not the supernatural of God. We're not talking about the blood of a man like you and I, or a woman like you and I. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. And this blood entitles us to access the very presence of God. Look at Hebrews 10. Verse 19, Hebrews 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. How? By the blood of Jesus. You see, it's only through the blood of Jesus, that, that incorruptible, that pure blood that gives us access into the presence of God. It wasn't those blood of bulls and calves that could never take away sin. It only was a picture it only was a temporary covering until the blood of Christ was shed to take away our sin. To obtain eternal redemption for us. Romans 5.9 says that we are justified, justified by His blood. So this is purchasing blood. Thirdly, it is purging blood. Now the word purge means to free from guilt. 
free from guilt. Again, Hebrews 9, the book of Hebrews has a lot to say about the, the blood of Christ. In Hebrews 9, verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ... So, you know, he's talking about the, the Old Testament sacrifices, and he says in verse 13, that the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an half first sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying the flesh. In other words, they set the children of Israel apart from their sin. That was a covering for a temporary covering. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge, in other words, free you from guilt. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see, it's only when we understand that through the blood of Christ, our sins are washed away, can we have our conscience purged, freed from guilt. The Old Testament people had to bring that offering again every year. They were reminded of it again every year. But the blood of Christ purges our conscience. Purges. Frees us from guilt. That purging is continual in action. You know, 1 John 1, 7 says... But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. It is a continual cleansing. Continual cleansing. It, it continues to cleanse. It assures us of unbroken relationship and the capacity of unbroken fellowship. Fourthly, it is propitiating blood. Now the word propitiating means to conciliate. That means has the ability to bring things together or to come together. In Romans chapter 3, <clears throat> this, this word is only used, I think, three to- twice in the Bible. But it's very important. It's a big, one of those big $50 words. But it has a very... Simple definition, of course, it means to bring together or to, to, to set free. Uh, Romans three twenty four and 25 says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So, you know, propitiation through His blood. The, the blood of Christ is propitiating blood. It has the power to bring together those that were before at enmity with one another. It, 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 to, to, it has the, 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 the um, uh, you know, to come together to make peace or to satisfy uh, uh, Make reconciliation. In fact, look at Isaiah 53. There's an interesting statement in Isaiah 53 that is um, kind of hard to, to grasp. But verse 10 says, Isaiah 53:10, Yet it pleased the Lord, that is the Father, to bruise him. 
he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pledge of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall, that is the father again, he shall see the travail of his soul. In other words, see the travail of the soul of his son. And shall be satisfied. But all said, you know, Jesus has already asked the question. Is there any other way possible to be reconciled to God? When he was in the garden, he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He was asking the Father, if it's possible that there be another way to redeem man from his sin. Let me not have to go through this. Basically what he's saying. Nevertheless, thy will be done. See, the answer was, there's not another way possible. The sacrifice for sin requires a perfect, sinless sacrifice. And the sacrifice for man's sin cannot be atoned by an animal. It has to be somebody of equal or greater. And that person was the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he is the only one that could satisfy the righteousness of God for us. He is the only one that can bring us together. God was completely satisfied. Hebrews 10 now tells us in verses 11 through 14, every priest standing daily ministering and oftentimes the same sacrifices can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for his sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting his enemies to be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And the Father says, that is the perfect sacrifice. I am pleased with it. Now we can come together. See, it is propitiating blood. You know, the, the, the blood of Christ ended forever the Levitical economy. There is no more need for any other sacrifice. Christ's shedding of his blood was sufficient. It was sufficient. Fifthly, it is precious blood. Our text calls it, in verse 19, precious blood. That word precious means it's to be, it's held in high honor. It is of great value. In fact, the, 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 the Greek, or the, the, yeah, the Greek, uh, uh, the lexicon describes it, uh, the idea is there's not words to describe it. It is such high honor. No wonder there are such warnings given in the scriptures concerning 
considering the blood of Christ as a common and ordinary thing. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28, the Bible says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of a covenant wherewith he was sanctified and unholy, or that is a common ordinary thing, and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. To consider lightly the blood of Christ, to consider it of not any other, any more importance than anyone else's blood, and to consider him just another man that died in Jerusalem on that day is, is, to, is to mock. an offense, the greatest sacrifice that was ever made. It's a great offense to the Lord. That's why the warning in 1 Corinthians 11 to the church of Corinth concerning the Lord's table. The Lord's table pictures the body of Christ that was broken and the blood of Christ that was shed for our sin, and to take the Lord's table as something that's not important, or is to consider the Lord's blood and the Lord's body of little value? See, it's to be held in high honor. Sixthly, it always begins with P, so preserved blood. Preserved blood. It is preserved blood. Now this is where a lot of some theologians disagree, but I'm going to go with what the Bible says. Verse Peter 1, For as much as you know, verse 18, you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So here he says it's not something corruptible, so it's something that's incorruptible. Now there are two things mentioned in, these, in this passage here, if you read on to the end of the chapter, that are considered incorruptible. And one is the blood of Christ, and the second one is the word of God. Verse 23, being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now, to be incorruptible means to be something that is eternal, something that is not able to be destroyed. It's something that's not susceptible to decay. You know, there, are, there, there really isn't anything in this world that's like that. You know, we have some things that are close to that. You know, clothing is corruptible. Uh, you know... I don't like like to wear corrupted clothing. You know, I, I like I even like my work clothes to be clean. You know, after you know, of course, I do some painting and drywall work every now and again. And you know what often happens? They get paint splotches on them, and I it irritates me. You know, there's another good pair of pants that now they look like they're you know, 
you know, and I like when I go to a, to to Ace Hardware or Lowe's, I I like to have, you know, even my work pants. I like to look decent. I don't look, look, want to look like that they've that I've painted them <laughs> or holes in them. You know, clothes can be corrupted. Children go out and play, and they get soiled. Well, they can be washed. But you know, if you wash clothes too many times, guess what happens to them? They become corrupted. You know, probably one of the closest things we have to the, the, something that's not corruptible would be glass. But again, you can melt it. There's something you can do. But you know, you can you can spray things on glass and you can wipe it off clean. It's hard to it's hard to contaminate good glass. But yet, it's not completely incorruptible. It's still susceptible to decay. But the blood of Christ is incorruptible. It is preserved blood. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> now we already looked at chapter 9 where it says that he by his own blood he entered into the holy place. That's referring to the holy place in heaven, having attained eternal redemption for us. And, and of course, you know, we believe there he took his blood into the mercy seat in heaven. In Hebrews 12... And verses 22 to 24, it tells us about some things that are, that are in heaven. Verse 22, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So we're not talking about Jerusalem in this world. He, he clarifies that we're talking about the heavenly Jerusalem. And to innumerable company of angels. So these are all things in heaven. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. And to God, God dwells in heaven, the judge of all. And to the spirits of just men made perfect. Well, the spirits of just men made perfect are those that have gone to heaven, that have died and gone to be with the Lord. Okay, they're in heaven. And to Jesus, the mediator of new covenant. We know that Jesus is seated on the right hand of the Father in heaven. And to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. I remember I was in Massachusetts before we moved to Maryland, not long before we moved to Maryland. There was an old man there. Was a, he was the retired, I guess he was pastor emeritus of the church there, this Baptist church. And he heard that we were moving to Elkton, Maryland. And he knew the pastor in Elkton, Maryland. And he pulled me aside after one of the services and said, um, I hear you're moving to Elkton, Maryland. I said, yes. He said, uh, he said, are you familiar with what he teaches concerning the blood of Christ? I said, yes, I am. That he teaches that the blood of Christ is preserved in heaven? I said, yes. And I said, I agree with that. And he, you know, he took me to some passages in Hebrew, and I took him to this passage. I said, now, if I understand English and the Word of God, this is telling me that all these things, it's listing all these things that are in heaven, and then now you're going to tell me that the last one it states all of a sudden isn't in heaven? He said, hmm, never really studied that passage before. You see, 
the blood of Christ is incorruptible blood. And Jesus sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat in the of heaven. Let's, let's, let's kind of go through this. Look at chapter 8 of Hebrews in verses 1 through 5. I want to take you through a kind of a progression here. Now, things which we have spoken, this is a sum. We have in such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. So, you know, we're talking not here about the tabernacle that Moses made in the wilderness. We're talking about a tabernacle which the Lord made. So where would that tabernacle be? It's in heaven. For every high priest, verse 3, is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore is a necessity that this man, talking about Christ, have somewhat also to offer. For he, if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that they'll make all things according to the pattern shown to thee in the mount. So God told Moses, you make a tabernacle like the one I've showed you that is in. You see, that tabernacle that Moses made on earth was patterned after the heavenly tabernacle. Chapter 9, verse 6. And I'm not reading all this for sake of time, but it might do you good to go back and read it. Chapter 9, verse 6. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. Into the second, you know, this is talking about the compartments in the, in the tabernacle itself. The holy place, and then there was the holy of holies. So that first one was the holy place. But under the second, the holy, holy of holies, went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself for the heirs of the people. Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way in the holiest of all was not yet made perfect, while as that first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washing and the carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, by his own blood, entered in once into the holy place, having attained eternal redemption for us. So again, you know, it's very clear here. The Holy Ghost, verse 8, signifying the way in the holiest was not made yet, as the first tabernacle was still standing. And what happened when Jesus died, and when Jesus said, it is finished, and that temple veil was rent from top to bottom, signifying the end of this. Now, it's about that tabernacle that's in heaven. And now, it's about the blood of Jesus, not the blood of bulls and goats and calves, which could never take away sin. Verse 23, chapter 9. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. See, those bulls and calves weren't good enough to obtain eternal redemption. 
It required the blood of a perfect man. One made like unto his brethren. For Christ, verse 24, is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, as it is appointed unto men once to die after this judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So you see, that blood of Christ was offered in heaven, on the mercy seat in heaven. And according to the scriptures, it's still there. Because it's incorruptible blood. And notice thirdly then the impact of this blood. It is, this, this blood is what has bought our redemption. The Bible says two times, Ephesians 1, 7, Colossians 1, 4, 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You know, redemption is a reverent, a ransom, not a reverence, a ransom of deliverance of sinners from the bondage of sin. It has brought reconciliation. Colossians 1.20 says, being reconciled by his blood. We've been made friends or in agreement with God. We've been made one with God through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, it brings regeneration, new life, new birth. New birth. Romans chapter 5 and verses 9 and 10. Romans 5, 9 and 10. And the Bible says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You know, he gave us life. He gave his blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And death can only be banished by life. And where is life? It's in the blood. I found this article, and I'm not even sure where I found it. But it's interesting. It says, quote, like it or not, the Bible is a bloody book. From beginning to end, it, re- it revels in blood. Within just the first few chapters of Genesis, blood sacrifice is implied as God used animals' skins to cover nakedness of Adam and Eve. In deliverance of the Hebrew people from the grip of Egypt, God instructed them to make blood sacrifice from a spotless lamb, then coat their doorposts with his blood. Shortly thereafter, God instituted a law requiring a yearly sacrifice of untainted goats and lambs. The blood from this act was of utmost importance. It needed to be sprinkled around the altar by the high priest in order to Israel could maintain relationship with God. The New Testament reveals that these bloody sacrifices were the prefigment 
prefigurement of Jesus Christ, who came to the earth as a spotless lamb, endured horrific mutilation on the cross as the final once-for-all sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. The event was so bloody, in fact, that the Bible describes Jesus wasn't even recognizable as a man. You know, Isaiah 52, verse 14 says, His visage was so marred more than any man. And just as blood was used in Israel's deliverance from the bondage of Egypt, the Bible concludes by affirming Christ's followers in their sustained victory over the clutches of Satan through the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 12, 11. Make no mistake, God is obsessed with blood. And this offends many people, causing the contemporary church to skirt around the topic. Just observe the bulk of today's sermons, and you'll notice that blood is all but drained from the modern gospel. Some have deemed it irrelevant. I've even heard parents complain when the children are taught about Christ's crucifixion in a Christian school. Quote, it might cause nightmares, unquote. With a general lack of teaching about the importance of blood throughout the scriptures, I often hear God accused of being gory. Why is God so obsessed with blood, people ask. Well, you must understand, to God, blood is not gore. Sin is what made it gory. When you hear of a murder, often you picture a tragic blood slaughter. Where there's a car accident, there are almost always great bloodshed. And so we view blood as the most disgusting representation of everything that's wrong with the world. None of these are God's original design, but the results of sin. And the devil loves to perpetuate this image. Through things such as movies and media, he keeps gore front and center so that we're repulsed by blood and thus turned off to a God who portrays, who he betrays as cruel and bloodthirsty. Indeed, sin is what perverted blood and equated it with death. God, however, created blood to represent life. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. See, God is so obsessed with blood because he's obsessed with life. More than anything else in the body, blood is essential to life. It's what carries fuel and oxygen to the billions of cells in our bodies. Blood supplies the brain and heart with the necessary nourishment to function. It also carries carbon dioxide and other waste materials to the digestive system, where they are then removed from the body. Without blood, we couldn't keep warm or cold, fight infections, or get rid of our own waste products. Additionally, our very identity, our DNA, is located in the blood. See, blood shouldn't be equated with death. The Bible teaches rather that sin is equated with with death. And because we've all sinned, death is, res- is the default spiritual condition of each of us. It's only blood that can reverse that. Think about it. It's only blood that can reverse that death. The only act that re- can resuscitate something from death is to infuse it with life. You know, in Hebrews 9.22... The Bible says this, and almost all things are by the law purged, that is cleansed, with blood. And without the shedding of blood, okay, let's read it this way. And almost all things are by the law purged with life. Because blood is life. See, that blood, it doesn't speak of death, it speaks of giving you life. 
And without the shedding of blood, the shedding of somebody's life, there's no remission. There's no forgiveness. There's no pardon. There's no letting go of sins. There's no sending away of the penalty without the shedding of blood. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That incorruptible, precious blood. See, it's only the blood of Christ that has the power to remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. It's only the blood of Christ that we can have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So the next time you hear something about blood, think about the life that our Lord Jesus gave so that you might have life. So that you can be cleansed and purged from your sins. See, the devil has twisted and perverted the truth concerning the blood with the TV, movies, and all this, and the, and, the, and the continual onslaught and bloodshed and the gore of that. He has desensitized us, our society, to the price that was paid for our sin, the shedding of blood. Might we never forget, may we not take for granted the blood of Christ that was shed for our sins. Do you have redemption through his blood?